Welcome to the Protectors Podcast, and I have to say it again, the Protectors is now a registered trademark, and this is my third episode with having that big old R behind the Protectors, and I'm so happy for everybody's support and so gracious. Today, I'm talking to Michael Hess from ASP. Why have Michael Hess from ASP on? Well, when I first started my career 23 years ago with the U.S. Border Patrol, the first baton, collapsible baton I was issued was an ASP. I remember getting that package and going, oh man, this is a real deal. This is my secondary. This is my backup, you know, not my backup, but this is my my use of force tool that's going to be there before I have to resort to deadly force. So I better learn how to use it. I've used a various amounts of asps over the years, 23 years, I should say. But I still have this little this little collapsible baton that I've been carrying from agency to agency when I became a special agent. Same one, probably about 15, 16 years old now, and I love it. So I wanted to talk about him not only about ASP batons, but all the other things that are ASP going on right now. And first thing I want to ask Michael is the ASP nine millimeter. You know, before the show, we talked ASP nine millimeter, man. What is up with that? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Jason. It's great to be here and uh, it's, you're doing great stuff. Um, Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a little known fact as uh, they used to say on cheers. It's a little known fact, Norm, but ASP, which stands for armament systems and procedures. Most it's interesting. Most cops, little sidebar, just know ASP like the snake. And they refer to any collapsible baton, or actually we don't like to say collapsible baton, expandable baton on their belt. uh, They will call an ASP, even if it's not ours. Now we kind of created the category. So most of them are ours, but there are other expandable batons out there. But if you ask an average cop, they'll just say, Oh, this is my ASP. And even if there's a small chance it's somebody else's, and that's fine. I mean, that's the the way things go with trademarks and stuff. But uh, ASP, the acronym is Armament Systems and Procedures, because we provide equipment and training, which we'll, I'm sure, get into uh, in, in the best way to use that equipment. But way back when, 40-something years ago, uh, the original iteration of ASP, uh, the snake name, was a 9 millimeter pistol that was began as a Smith & Wesson Model 39, which anyone who's into guns knows was really the gun that started transitioning law enforcement from revolvers to semi-automatics. And uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Paris Theodore, who people can Google and find out all kinds of interesting things about, you know, interesting character in the dark world of espionage or who knows what else, who made holsters and among other things, uh, created this modified uh, Smith & Wesson Model Model 39 that had supposedly a couple hundred or 300 modifications done to it. Hard to imagine that many, but the barrel and slide were chopped down. All the edges were smoothed. The grips were replaced with cl- clear Lexan grips. The magazine was see-through because in those days, seven or eight rounds was the max. And, you know, you didn't have like 20 rounds <laughs> to back you up before you changed magazines. Um Bob Hammer, an interesting sighting system called a gutter snipe, which uh, eliminated the snag of traditional front and rear sights uh, and other things too. And the idea was that it would be a snag-free, easily concealable pistol originally designed for special agents and spies and things like that. 
and uh, and that's what the company was when our uh, founder and and still CEO uh, Kevin Parsons uh, took over the company and changed it into something else, the modern ASP in the less lethal world. But the, we don't talk about our gun background very much. But people can look it up if you Google ASP nine millimeter, you'll see that it's in James Bond novels. It's got there's two fan clubs on Facebook. If you can find one for sale on GunBroker or whatever, they they sell for six or ten thousand dollars depending on their condition. There's people who are it seems their lives are dedicated to understanding the world of ASP nine millimeters. And the only reason the reason it is significant to me in the modern world is that what people don't realize is that it was really the forefather of everything that we now know about uh, CCW pistols, uh, smaller, snag-free, even see-through grips and magazines are back in style in a lot of guns now. Uh, and so all what goes around comes around. So all the things that people think are new are really not new. A lot of them were, uh, you know, th- our pistol was, was the, the genesis of them, but fast forward, uh, many years and we got, you know, the gun business is a tough business and it was just something that, um, Dr. Parsons decided he wanted to move on from, uh, there were plenty of other people doing it, some well-known names and, uh, and he, uh, is a, it was, and is a self-defense expert, ninth degree black belt in karate, uh, was very familiar with stick fighting and some of the early, uh, progenitors, if that's the right word of, uh, of the modern expandable baton, things called a Kosh and Sipo in Germany, I think. And, you know, they've existed in some form almost since prehistoric days, but were never modernized and made high tech and super high quality and turned into a real quality engineered uh, defensive weapon. And so he basically perfected it and created the modern expandable baton back in 1976 ish. And we, we moved on from, we obviously we still, Expandable batons are what we're famous for, but you know we've now made a name for us ourselves in handcuffs and uh, flashlights and pepper spray and training and other things like that. Yeah, when you bring up the handcuffs, I picked up a pair of ASP handcuffs years ago. I still have them. I mean, they're awesome. But the thing about them is so carrying, you know, I don't want to carry a lot of things on my belt. I don't. And everything weight adds up. And there's such a marked difference between the weight of the ASP handcuffs and the regular ones you find out there in the world. Uh, and I really do want to give kudos out to the, the handcuff that you guys put out there. I do. I really dig it. Well, that's our fastest growing category. We're super proud of it. We actually just introduced an, a new handcuff uh, called the Sentry that puts us into a different price price point with a highly engineered and evolved product, just knowing how tough it is with budgets these days for individual officers who sometimes have to buy their own security guards, agencies, purchases. But in principle, our handcuff business is revolves around the idea that there's been no innovation for a century. The, the modern ratcheting handcuff, which was patented about a hundred years ago, uh, hadn't changed much before we got into it. In fact, in many corners of the world, it's exact, almost exactly the same as it was a hundred years ago. And they work fine, as we like to say, you know, they hold hands, but they also don't factor in a lot of modern realities about liability, officer safety, things like things that were not issues, you know, when, you know, Clancy the cop was walking a beat and swinging his little billy club around and tipping mm-hmm. his hat to people. It's not that anymore. So um, the fact that uh, handcuffing 
discomfort and injuries are this are the biggest source of agency complaints and liability and report writing and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, the biggest uh, handcuff neuropathy, which is the condition that is often the result of either poor handcuffs or poor handcuffing, uh, the biggest settlement in the handcuff in handcuffing neuropathy was fourteen million dollars. and and there's a big lesson in that because the person who won that suit was not a criminal, wasn't even close. He was a surgeon who was, it was a mistaken identity case. And mm-hmm. as a result of poor handcuffing and poor handcuffs, uh, he was unable to do surgery anymore. And so he was well entitled to the settlement that he got. Um, and it reminds us that not everybody who's put into handcuffs is a bad guy. It just sometimes, is a, sometimes they come off again. And so it, every officer has a vested interest in not hurting people or, or risking getting themselves hurt in the process of handcuffing. So our handcuffs revolve around officer safety. The edges are all rounded and smooth. Smooth. We put keyways on both sides of the handcuffs so that you don't have to bend somebody over or break their arms or whatever. <laughs> what a novel concept. <laughs> yeah. We're not, you know, I, I know it's, it's popular tough guy talk to say, Hey, tough luck sucks to be you you know, too bad if you get, you know, you should have thought about it before you did the thing or whatever, but it's no, no, no sane officer or agency wants anyone in their custody to get hurt. And we certainly don't want our officers getting hurt. So it's in all of our interest to produce handcuffs that are safer and to teach officers techniques that are modern and that will help keep them, them and those in their custody safe as well. So we put all these features in the handcuffs and also they're just from an engineering standpoint, our ultra cuffs, which are the ones you've seen, uh, which are forged alloy, more like a rifle receiver, not mm-hmm. stainless steel. Um, they're kind of a thing of beauty from an engineering standpoint. If you like nice gear, you know, if you if you like the way a, a perfectly engineered semi-automatic pistol operates or a, a great rifle, these are the handcuff equivalent of those. Their action is uh, well, we're we're on audio, so I won't bother pulling one out and showing you, but the smoothness of their action is really addictive. You, a lot of time, you take them out of your cuff case and you can't help but just flick them around a bunch. Um, and that's the fun part of it. But uh, they're just so, they're so different than anything else on the market. And, uh, you know, we've been the fastest growing brand in handcuffs for the last few years. And now with this new Sentry Cuff. Uh, now, what's the deal with the Sentry Cuff? Now, one so, thing before we get to the Sentry Cuff too, yeah. is like, you know, other brands out there, you have to use the back of the, your handcuff yep. key to, yep. to double yep. lock it. Now, I understand ASP has a, you don't have to use that. How do you double lock them? So we have we have three categories of handcuffs. We have ultra cuffs, which are our original forged alloy, uh, lightweight cuffs. They're, they come with steel bows or aluminum bows. You can get them chain, hinge, or rigid. Uh, we can get into the reasons for different cuff connectors if we want to. But uh, And then we, two years ago, introduced our ultra plus cuff, a little over a year ago. Ultra plus cuff, which is the same as the original ultra cuffs, but it adds keyless double locking. So... Uh, it has a notch in the side of the frame that you requires a very specific action with the tip of your finger. It's almost impossible to lock accidentally. You don't want to, you don't want cuffs to double lock themselves accidentally because then when you go to press them around somebody's wrist wrist and you don't slap them on like on TV or whatever, uh, you're going to find that they don't they don't open and they don't swing around and it could hurt. So um, over two years of engineering, more than that, and testing, we figured out a way to create a keyless double lock that won't engage accidentally. You can put your meat hooks all over it and it's not going to close. But once double locking is critical, every agency requires it, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times people don't do it. It's the most important step in handcuffing once you've got someone secured because it prevents them 
obviously the cuffs from closing tighter, especially in the back of a police car or intentionally. Some people try to hurt themselves because they know that, you know, there's money to be made in that. So this eliminates the the step of taking out a key, uh, t- turning it around, putting your double lock pin in a slot or a pinhole or whatever, and double locking them. You don't have an excuse to not do it anymore. Just if, if you can see the colored indicator on the side of the cuffs, it's asking you to press it. If you press it and you don't see it anymore, you know the cuffs are double locked. Done deal. Uh, they unlock with a single keystroke. Michael, I should pause you right there, real yeah. quick. Yeah. So, for the audience out there who's not law enforcement or not have any, had never been in handcuffs, or maybe you have been, huh? But anyway, when you double, <laughs> when you double lock a cuff, what we're talking about is it won't tighten anymore. And what happens is if you don't have it double locked, it could tighten up, tighten up, tighten up, and cut off circulation. It can cause really bad injuries. And it's just not a good thing to happen. And a lot of times when you're, when let's say you handcuff a suspect or handcuff anybody detention, detaining them, you have to get them out of the area. You can't, you don't have time to double cuff them and everything else. It's, it's very, it could cause issues. And what Michael's talking about is like, when you look at the, take, go to the ASP website, just take a pause. Okay, quick. You're back. Now, did you see the double cuff The it's really cool? There's a little indicator and you push that in. So Thanks, Michael, for letting me give my yeah, little your audience can't see us, obviously, but they're back yeah. there those with the blue line on them over my shoulder there. Um, and that's been an amazing innovation. They very quickly started out selling our original cuffs. It again for us, it's like we're always about changing what people think about these product categories. Uh, they they get stale after a while. It's like who says there's not a better way to do handcuffing? Uh and so the double the keyless double lock's been great. The other advantage of the keyless double lock is that um, anytime you have a key out in the presence of somebody, especially if they're combative, there's a risk factor involved. Not only can anything metal be used as a weapon, but also people get their hands on keys. Um, And so the idea now is that with the keyless double lock, the key never needs to be present during the cuffing process, only during removal or adjustment of the cuffs. And we have a cool system that allows uh, officers to resize the cuffs with minimal risk too. That just half a key turn releases the double lock a little more of a key turn lets them loosen or tighten the cuffs a little and then they can redouble lock and take the key out and they're done uh, and so the less you have a key present uh, and also just the fewer steps in the process the safer it is for the officer uh, most officers will tell you that trouble usually starts when the first handcuff goes on uh, and someone realizes they're being handcuffed that's usually if they're going to fight that's typically when they're going to start fighting or start running or whatever so the faster you can do it, the safer you can do it, and the smoother you can do it, the better the better off everybody is. But Sentry, to answer your original question, the Sentry cuff is an all stainless steel cuff instead of the uh, forged alloy, uh-huh. uh, but it still has all the rounded edges that you typically don't find in steel cuffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's plate steel as opposed to this forging. Um, the edges are still rounded. It's bead blasted. The finishes are all smooth. It still has the same uh, forged bow, the super smooth action, uh, dual-sided keyways. It just doesn't have some of the super advanced features like ultra cuffs. The keyways are actually removable and replaceable. We call them lock sets. Um, so if you have, in the rare instance where you have a jam up in the field or whatever, it's very rare that anything happens to them. Or you could even change the Paul configuration and so it'll have higher or lower security, whatever. You can just take the lock sets out. They're like a cartridge. They're unitized okay. and you could put a new lock set in. We, we don't offer that in the century. That's one way to keep the cost down. 
Um, but all the safety features, all the quality, whatever is all there in the century, but it's a price point. We've honestly, we're not a price driven company. We're a best possible product driven company. So we realize our stuff is not inexpensive. Um, but we also realize that, you know, it, it sounds corny, but every officer and professional security person is entitled to have the best possible handcuff on their belt or two handcuffs in the case of most police officers. And we just have been working really hard to find a way to determine, can we make something that has most of the good features, but that is, you know, I guess I hate to say stripped down, but it, it offers enough at a good mm -hmm. price without offering everything at a higher price. And uh, the response has been amazing. We just launched them a month ago and uh, we, we can't make them fast enough right now. We hopefully will get to the point of making it fast enough, but we seem to have done it right. So we're super happy about that. Um, we've tested it more than any product we've ever introduced. We've had SWAT guys out beating the crap out of them for months, putting them, you know, using them on real customers and, you know, stepping on them in the gravel and doing everything they can to break them, which, you know, if it, if anything's going to get broken, a SWAT guy can probably break it. That's the truth. <laughs> and uh, we've had just great results. And, you know, usually the when after they test it, their first question is, uh, can I have one, a new one? So that's what we want to hear. Hey, you know, you guys don't just do handcuffs. You know, mm -hmm. I remember even training-wise, the red guns. You know, we'll talk today a little bit. I mean, you're doing like the flashlights, red guns. And now the red, and you know, everybody out there in the training world, and especially firearms instructors. You know, when I when I became a firearms instructor, the first thing I did was I went out and I bought a bunch of red guns. Because I want, when people first touch a firearm, I like to train them on a red gun to get the feel of it and, and it before you hand them a live one. Yep. Michael's holding a red gun in his hand. And I'm now a red gun. I, and the other thing is like, I just saw on our website, red guns with detachable magazines. And everybody, if you've ever used a red gun and what it is, it's a basically, is it polymer? It's polymer. It's a, po a proprietary polymer that we've spent years developing. Um, they're effectively on and they're bomb proof that we've, we've, throwing them out of airplanes, literally uh, smash them around rooms, everything you can do. Um, it was hard to come up with a polymer that worked this well, but we mold them from the original guns. Uh, so we, we always start with a mold that we make from the original guns so that they have exact aesthetic and tactile familiarity, perfect holster fit. Uh, and the idea is that you can do defensive tactics training, all the things short of shooting, the th things about weapon retention, things about self-defense against uh, guns and we do pistols and long guns and uh, you know, everything but the shooting that doesn't need to be done with a real gun. The very, the very act of having a real gun in a non-firing uh, training situation is just, it's not a good idea. It, if nothing else, it's expensive to be using that kind of equipment for what it's not meant for. Mm -hmm. um, but the only way to guarantee a hundred percent safety is to make sure there's not a real gun in the room. And so this allows uh, officers and others to practice draws and reholstering and retention and defensive tactics and all those things. And now we've added the removable magazine, which is exclusive to us that adds the ability to do mag swaps. So yeah, that's the, awesome. The guns come with one heavy and one light to simulate an empty and full magazine. And you can, you know, this is SIG, obviously uh 320, well, M18, I guess. And, um, uh, and you, it's exactly 
made from a real SIG and you can do everything with it and your audience can hear that but not see it. But uh, so you can, it'll even, you can even put real SIG magazines in here, but it doesn't. Huh. Oh really yeah. Good. Yeah. There's, huh. there's yeah. That, that's the only part of the gun that moves. So you can't get in any trouble with these mm-hmm. um, and put it in a dedicated SIG holster uh, M17, M18, whatever. That and, would be perfect for firearms, teaching someone about firearms as well with the magazine. Oh yeah. yeah. It's great. Uh, I I've used these for teaching civilians because you can show them everything about the gun and don't have to worry about anyone flagging anyone or feeling nervous or whatever you can short of the actual action and racking the slide and all those things you can teach them. I mean, it, you can teach them even front sight focus, as you can see here, the sites, there's a notch in the site. You can teach them where the safeties are. If they have manual safeties, you can teach them mag swaps uh, you, and almost most importantly for the average civilian teach them proper grip which to me is the most important thing um pretty much everything but racking and pressing the trigger so but for police the important thing is being able to do defensive tactics um we do a lot of military too we have some entire armies in europe that carry uh our red long guns you know they jump out of airplanes Mm -hmm. when they're training they don't need there's no need if they're doing non-firing training for them to carry their real rifle so um yeah, it's a, it's a great product, and uh, we actually have a big training division. We do a lot of training gear. Well, that's one thing I wanted to talk to you, too, about is the training. I mean, let's – first off, before we get to the training, yeah. I didn't – there's so much more. So I originally reached out to you because, hey, you know, I'm like, hey, you know what? I carried an ass for all these years. I want to talk to people in the industries of, of the different type of equipment that I've used. But then I, I remembered I had the ASP cuffs. And I'm like, there is so much more to ASP than just the, the baton. Yep. And now I didn't even realize you guys had flashlights. We and do. Flash, and man, anything, anybody knows anything about me is flashlights. I love, I have flashlights everywhere, but ask flashlights. I was looking through the website and everybody take a pause. Okay. You're back. No, but I mean, seriously, I mean, I love it. Yeah. So we, we, again, this is, there's, we're, I think we're a pretty humble company. You know, we've been, we're more interested in putting good gear and training on the streets than we are in telling our story or, you know, whatever, uh, recounting our, our, uh, our history. But, uh, ASP was really the first company. This will be hard to believe because the flash, the led flashlight industry is so huge now, but mm-hmm. ASP was the first company to really seriously incorporate LEDs in place of incandescent bulbs, uh, in the eighties. And, you know, back in the days when, uh, without mentioning brands, everybody knows what every cop used to carry, uh, you know, giant 4D battery flashlights and things uh, like that. But they had incandescent bulbs. They were probably 20, 40, 60 lumens, something like that. Uh, and nowadays, you know, it, the sky's the limit on lumens, which we could that I, I could fill an episode talking about the pros and cons of that. I know. Looking at the this one, the Raptor, the new Raptor has. OK, so. Imagine you're on the Southwest border. I was in a border patrol and I used to carry that other company's four cell and you have a 200 lumens, maybe 50 to 200. This Raptor is 1900 lumens. Yeah. It's and that more than like that. Your now, output. But, oh yeah. my gosh. But we're not even, we're not even about the lumen wars as people call yeah. it, because honestly mm-hmm. in law enforcement, there is such a thing as too many lumens, especially, yeah. especially in a small room. Um, and, you know, we adapt to that by having programmable flashlights and second modes and things, but we came out with a, a little keychain light, which is really doing it a disservice to call it that, but a clip-on carabiner style light um, called the Sapphire, which we still have to this day. And it was the it was the first 
light that experimented with the idea of using LEDs as a light source. And we sold literally millions of them. They were even outside law enforcement. They they were in every major catalog department store. That there it is. Yeah. I'm looking at the Sapphire. If you look yeah. at the Sapphire, everybody's seen it before. Yeah. But, you know, it's not a tactical light. It was something yeah. for an officer to have on his or her keychain. You could check IDs with it. You could, you know, look inside a vehicle or a small room, but it wasn't meant to, you know, light up a, a dark alley. And, but it, it was the beginning of an evolution that turned into uh, a handheld flashlight, sm- small, but it, but potent handheld flashlight line. We don't do weapon lights. It's not our thing. Our, it, everything that we do uh, has to fit into our training. Uh, which we do all over the world, and as I mentioned to you, for free. So it's not something we make. Yeah, money that's you know that. what you you brought up a good point. Before yeah. the show, Michael and I were talking. He said you shouldn't have to pay to stay alive. Not if you're a cop. No, yeah, you shouldn't have to pay to stay alive out of your own pocket. So let's talk about your training now, and it's free. Yeah, so we do uh, um, integrated use of force training that incorporates the use of batons, handcuffs, and flashlights. And there are three-day classes that we call AICs or ASP instructor certification. We've taught in over a hundred countries. We don't we don't charge the officers, the agencies a penny to take the class. In fact, we give them the gear too. So if anybody thinks that it's like we get them into a class to do a sales pitch, it's the exact opposite. We don't we don't try and sell them anything. We hope that they don't have to carry our stuff to take the class. We don't require their agency to use our stuff to take their class. We require that they show up and that they give it their all. It's some of the hardest training in law enforcement physically. Um, ask any cop who's done it and they'll tell you that. Uh, we have even a higher level called ASP trainer certification, which is for a very limited number of people who show promise to become one of our trainers who go around the world and teach these instructor classes. But the, the core instructor curriculum is designed to bring uh, defensive tactics instructors and other agency uh, officers from agencies around a geographic area in for three days of intensive training, the product of which will be an instructor certification, which allows them to go back to their agency and teach the officers at a smaller level, what we taught them so that they can go out on the street and be safe with uh, less lethal force. And um, so we, we teach that we do about uh, 80 of them a year. Uh, there's more demand for them than we can meet. Like I said, we don't, we don't charge a penny for it. It's actually, it costs us a lot of money uh, to actually conduct these classes. We spend millions of dollars doing it and we do it for all the right reasons. We believe, I, I like to tell people, one of the things I love about ASP is that the things you hear us say behind closed doors in the company is the same thing you hear us say out in the public. And I don't think that's common in a lot of companies. So when I tell you that everything that we do is around officer safety, regardless of whether it makes money or not, those are the conversations we have in the boardroom when we look at a new product or a new training curriculum or anything like that. We challenge ourselves to say, is this something that every officer around the world can learn and do? Will this keep them safe? Uh, is there somebody doing it better than we are? In which case, let them keep doing it. You know, Is there a place for us to be doing this product or this training in the world? And um, we actually, not to change subjects, but we've never done civilian training. We've always been entirely a law enforcement company, but we're, we're making an exception to that starting this year and doing a civilian pepper spray course because oh, yeah. um, we've constantly been asked by people, can you please come up with a civilian course for people to do? Uh, we, we sell some pepper spray products and they're like, you know, people don't know how to use pepper spray properly. 
there's not really, there are some big companies doing pepper spray products and some training, but there's not a formally organized, you know, international police developed on and on and on curriculum for people to learn the basic principles of self-defense with pepper spray and, and all of the things that go around it, like situational awareness and stuff. There's plenty of self-defense classes out there, obviously, but uh, the point is that we've we've always resisted doing that kind of thing because we're we are a law enforcement company. But if enough people ask you for it sooner or later, you might have to listen. So we're launching uh, we call it a be your own defender class this year uh, that you know hopefully will help a lot of people. But again, we are uh, it's not something that we are looking to make money at. Um, if people want to buy our pepper spray products, that's wonderful. But we really would just want people to be out there safe on the street. And you, and you and I are both very big proponents of training. Uh, we both you know, went to a course with Warhawk Tactical. And the thing is, civilians should be training as much as law enforcement with the tools. Not, I shouldn't say as much as law enforcement, but they should train on the tools they're going to carry. And if you're going to be carrying pepper spray, they should absolutely be trained on it. And you never hear about training for pepper spray. You don't. So that's yep. an excellent, excellent course. Yeah. we're If you ask almost anybody in our company um, – what do you, what does ASP do best? And what's the most important thing to ASP? You would expect someone to say expandable batons because that's what keeps the lights on in our mm-hmm. facilities uh, and pays us all and all of that. But I don't, I think almost anybody who asks in the company would say training and with a very straight, we don't, I'm not going to say we don't care about making money because we wouldn't have a company if we didn't, but it really is not the first thing in our mind when we get roll out of bed every morning and go to work. Uh, you know, training takes precedence over everything. It's the most serious conversations we have in the company are about training. And, you know, we obviously being in our trade and being around officers all the time and having officers who work for us and who train for us and all that, we're keenly aware of all the bad things that happened on the street increasingly. And I think most people would agree that most of them come down to poor training uh, and lack of availability of training. Being, Mm -hmm. Being the father of a sheriff's deputy, I'm keenly aware of the fact that training is insufficient and um, uh, it's something that it's one of the reasons that we continue to do it at no cost because people need to go home at night. Michael, I appreciate you coming on and I, I appreciate it. It's almost like a memory uh, tour for me, but it was also learning more about the future. Cause I'm going to keep my, my footprint in the, the policing world. I just, that, a lot of people have been following me on social media. saw that I took the metropolitan police department's, physical fitness test a couple weeks ago to be reserve cop. So uh, this should be an interesting journey. And I'm, you never know, I might be get issued an ASP again, which would be very, very cool. Michael, I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I, I really appreciate your having me and uh, the good work that you're doing. Thank you.